So uh, I think that I'm kind of like med. I kind of forget everything I was going to say, so it might be a long uh, 30 minutes of silence here. So we'll see. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I just want to say it's an honor to be here again uh, to speak. Uh, I'm not worthy of standing here in the pulpit. I am a big sinner, and by the grace of God, I'm here speaking to you um, just as nervous as I was the first time. So I, I, I'm definitely thankful to be a part of this church. And, and uh, if I pass out up here, just come throw some water on my face and pick me up and we'll keep going. So uh, today I, I'm going to talk about relationships, in particular marriage. So um, those of you, you guys that aren't married, I uh, don't think uh, there won't be anything in this for you. Uh, the time to train for a marathon is not in the middle of a marathon. So I would just uh, tell you to, you know, just take heed of the word, and hopefully uh, we can all get something out of this. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk about marriage was I, I felt a strong desire to share with everyone uh, everything that I've taught my wife in the eight years that we've been married. <laughs> just kidding. She's downstairs, so I can talk about her all I want, so it's, we're, we're good. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm definitely no expert on the subject. Um, I've, I've been married eight years as of August 16th this year. Hey, my wife and I have a pretty good marriage, uh, in my opinion, uh, but we're far from having the perfect marriage. We still have plenty of room to grow. Um, but for some reason, God laid this on my heart to talk about relationships today. Um, I actually started working on this sermon when we were without a pastor, kind of before Daniel came here. And uh, we were still using fill-ins, and I had to speak a couple times, and uh, I, I thought I better work on something just in case, and then thankfully Dan Daniel came along. But uh, I, I thought, uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure why the Lord led me to this, uh, but I kind of worked on it a little bit then, and Daniel accepted the position. And uh, so when Daniel asked me to, to speak, I, I thought I better pray about it, make sure the Lord still wanted me to talk about this. And, and uh, lo and behold, here we are. So, uh, so I titled this message, Till Life Do Us Part. And I chose the title because when you're getting married, we say the vow, till death do us part. But truth be told, rarely is it death that is separating marriages in this day and age. Uh, typically, it's everyday life that's causing people to divorce whether it be infidelity, financial issues, or the infamous irreconcilable differences. Did you know every 13 seconds there's a divorce in America? That equates to 277 divorces per hour, 6,646 divorces per day, 46,523 per week, and 2,419,196 per year. The average length of marriage is 8.2 years. The divorce rate in our country is 50%. 50%. And that's just for the first marriage. Second marriage, it raises to 60%. 20% of all marriages end in the first five years. That's one out of five. Think about that for a second. One out of five. Now, I, I come from a broken home, so I know uh, my, my mother and father are divorced, and, and they were both remarried. And, and I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, for both of my step-parents, so it's not it's not all bad, you know, and we're going to look at some things here, uh, you know, kind of to help us along the way. But 
Uh, why do you think so many people are, are getting divorced? I would say that they need Jesus. And that's probably an understate, understatement. Your family life, your friend, friendly relationships, and your marriage all need to be grounded in Jesus. Essentially, we all know that, right? We all know Jesus needs to be the center of everything we do. I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, When I've learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. He's saying the more you love God, the better spouse you can be. The more you love, the more love you can show others. So that's what that looks like. Excuse me. But what does that look like? How does that practically play out in our lives? Today I hope to unpack a few of God's truths that will help us to move toward that goal. Because it will be virtually impossible to have the full, loving, family life, friendly relationships, or marriage God intended for you without Him in it. So, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would just... Uh, glorify my words today, Lord. I pray that each person here would uh, listen with an open heart, Lord. I pray that they would listen uh, intently and that each person would glean something from this today, Lord. And I pray that you just be with me today as I speak, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. So let's open our Bibles to Ephesians 5. We're going to read 21 through 29. And it goes like this. Now I'm reading out of the NLT uh, I think the uh, New King James Version will be up here. But I read out of the NLT because for me it's a little easier to understand. Um, and I've read through the, the New King James Version, um, and I think they're both you know, pretty, pretty equal as far as that goes. But anyway, 21 says, And farther, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. So, this is two-sided. So. so, right off the bat here, I'm liking what Paul's saying. Wives, submit to your husband. Right? No, I'm kidding. That was a joke. You're supposed to laugh now. You can laugh. Um, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, don't submit to one another because you have to. Don't do it because you want to impress your lady. Do it out of reverence for Christ. The Webster definition of reverence is out of a deep respect or honor. So out of a deep respect or honor for Christ. I would argue we could apply this to all relationships in our lives. If we treated everyone we come in contact with with a deep respect or honor, I believe the world would be at a better place. 
Then Paul goes on to tell husbands how to treat their wives. I will say he spends a lot more time telling husbands how to act than he does wives. There could be a good reason for that. I don't know. But all the while comparing marriage to the church's relationship with Christ. Now, I want to transition into a bit into some practical applications here. Uh, so we're not done with Ephesians, but we're gonna, we'll go back, back and forth here. Um, I'd like to discuss some ways that in today's society we can get off track with our marriages and show you some biblical truths uh, to go along with them. And then we'll circle back to Paul throughout. So I'm not... Uh, I, I'm, this is my dabble into uh, expository preaching. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of going to be going back and forth a little bit. Uh, in the past when I've spoke, I've used various texts, and uh, that was easier for me. Um, but I'm trying to kind of go along with the text here. So uh, we'll, we'll just uh, be going back and forth a little bit and talking about various uh, scripture in between. So the first uh, practical application I have here is love is a choice, not an emotion. So why do you think there are so many divorces? Your emotions, right? The love you felt in the past, usually it's usually lust. You know in the beginning of a relationship you're all excited. Every time you see that person, you get butterflies. You always want to be with that person. Uh, you know, uh, some of us, you know, when you're in, haven't felt this since high school when you're, you know, the, the young love, the excitement of a new relationship. Well, the butterflies you get in the beginning don't last. Reality sets in. Life happens. There's going to be times when you can't find much love in your heart. Times when you're fighting, when things go wrong, when your children make bad decisions. All of these things can, be, can have a profound impact on our marriages or our relationships. Sometimes you have to choose to love your spouse or your friends. You have to make a conscious decision that you're going to be all in with this person. You're not always going to want to, but you're always going to choose to. Now, just to be clear here, I'm not saying you don't always love your spouse. I am saying that in the tough times, it can be hard to show that love. My wife and I have this thing we always say, ride or die. This is a phrase I'm sure you've all heard. Uh, The movie's Bad Boys, the movie Bad Boys, uh, really made it famous. Um, Side note, that's one of the movies where the sequel is actually better than the first one, if you haven't watched them. Um, But this is our motto. This this isn't just a phrase for us. This is how we we know each other in it for the long haul. We don't have a plan B. so back, back to Ephesians 5.25, Paul says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. I'm pretty sure what Paul is saying here is rather die. He says, just as Jesus gave his life for us, we too should be willing to give our lives for our wives. He says, love your wives. So 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Here Peter says, keep loving one another. He doesn't say if you feel like it. He says, keep loving one another. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not 
love does not know God because God is love. God is love, that's what he says. How can we love one another without loving the Father? Well, it says it right here, we can't. Love is from God. If you do not love, you do not know God. If you do not know God, you can never truly know love. The choice to love your spouse has got to start with the choice to love God first. And then, even when it's difficult, choose love. So our second point here is, don't look to the world for your expectations. TV, social media, etc., don't compare yourself to others. I'm a child of the 80s. Basically, I grew up listening to cassette tapes. CDs didn't come around until I was in high school, and we knew nothing of streaming music, so it was a foreign concept. So anybody else here remember cassette tapes? Yeah, everybody does. Med, I know you're over there. Med's over here saying, when I was a kid, we had two radio stations, and there was no, aren't you? Yeah. You just do, oh, there you go. There you go. You still have a tape in your truck? No. Oh. Oh, at home. Okay, okay. I was going to say. Um, anyway, for all of you, those who don't know what a cassette tape is, it's basically a little plastic thing that's got some ribbon in it, and it actually played music. So you could rewind it. And like when I was a kid, we had to literally record. Like if I wanted to, if there was a new song out and I wanted to record it, I had to wait for it to come on the radio. And then I had to have my blank cassette tape in and push record, and it was like, it was an ordeal. And then if you got it just right, you were like, you were pumped. It was exciting. So that, that's kind of how we grew up. Now you guys just go and push a button there, find it on YouTube, and you're like, oh, here's this new song I heard. But anyway, anyway, the thing, the thing with cassette tapes is the music artists would always put their best songs on the A side. So one side would be all their best music. And then the B side would kind of be not their best work. So it would be kind of just filler stuff and, you know, it would, it would be stuff that, that wouldn't make it to the radio and all, all that stuff. So, but definitely their best songs, all the stuff that was on MTV and stuff. I know something else you guys probably never heard of, huh? MTV. You, actually, there is MTV now, isn't there? I, I forgot. Um, but anyway, they would always put their best stuff on the, on the A side. Uh, that's kind of what social media is like. Everyone's A-side. No one puts on Facebook that they lied to their wife and it caused a huge argument or that they were ignorant to the cashier at Walmart. Uh, No, of course not. They don't want to be seen in that light. They want you to think that they are living their best life. They post happy, smiling pictures of them and their family and friends. They post positive messages. They post achievements they have done. No one ever posts their failures. I know a couple who post these lovey-dovey posts all the time about how much they're in love and how happy they are together. But in reality, they tell me that they are literally on the verge of divorce. So I'm just like, what gives here? Why are you so concerned with your, your public image? Like, obviously, we're all broken, so we all have issues. You know, there's nothing to be ashamed about there. Um... I I, uh, just don't understand why you would flat out lie on Facebook like that. But anyway, so don't believe everything you see on social media. Don't look to the world for your contentment. Don't look to the world for how you should act. Don't look to the world 
for how you should love your spouse or treat people in your lives. Don't compare your lives or your marriages to anyone else. Paul gives us some good advice here in Galatians. Galatians 6, 4, and 5 says, Each one should test their own actions. They can, excuse me, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. I like the way uh, Levi Lesko put it in his sermon, uh, Sweatpants on the Inside. He says, comparison killed contentment. Isn't this just so true, though? Like, don't compare yourself or your marriage or your kids or anybody to others. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So that one right there, that, that stings a little. I think we can all fall into the trap of loving something worldly, whether it be money, material things, the number of likes you get, the number of friends you have on Facebook, whatever it may be, all these things we see on TV, on social media. This verse says, if we love any of these things, the Father is not in us. The only true thing that can satisfy us, that can bring us contentment, is the Father. Let's look to Jesus for all of our expectations. Let's look to the cross for our contentment. Let's let being a child of the one true king be the only thing that we judge ourselves by. So our third practical application here is you have to grow together. This can be said for any relationship. In the beginning of any relationship, you don't really know the other person. You know a little about them. You may know what they want you to know. But it takes time to really get to know someone to understand how they work, what makes them tick. Then as you spend more time with them, you get to know them better. You get to really know them. Time reveals many things about them. Some good things, some bad. You get a better understanding of their true inner feelings. You realize that you married a sinner, or your new BFF is a sinner. This is how our relationship with God is too. We may think that we know him, when we first believe, but how that changes as you read Scripture, as you study His Word. God is always revealing new truths to us. He continues to sanctify us till the day we die. God's desire is to grow a love relationship with us. To continue in Ephesians five, twenty-five and 26, Paul says, He gave up His life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. Jesus desired us to be washed holy and clean. This is the whole reason he died on the cross for our sins. How can you build a strong relationship without him? Without Jesus in our marriages, we are just two sinners struggling through. With Jesus in our lives, he allows us to accept each other's faults, forgive each other's indiscretions, truly love one another for who we are. Allow your relationships to grow with Jesus smack dab in the middle. Paul says here, we are washed by the cleansing of God's word. Get in the word. Gather with God's people. Grow in God's love and you shall be able to grow together. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. Think about that for a second. God has never finished his work in you until Christ returns. 
He will continue to sanctify us until the day we die. That's pretty comforting to me. I'm constantly messing up, and this passage gives me hope that each day I get closer and closer to God and grow a little bit more each day in Jesus' likeness. This applies to all our relationships, too. If you're not growing with the Lord and seeking Him together as one, then the road is going to be tough. If you want your relationship to greatly increase, you have to be willing to put in the work to grow together. Don't just allow Satan to get in between you and make you think you're going in different directions. Put your focus on God and His truths. When two people are focused on one singular thing, they are working together as a team. I, can't, I can tell you my wife knows me better than any human being. She knows how I think. She knows what upsets me. She knows what I like. She has studied me to the point where she knows me better than I know myself. She's always saying things to me about my personality. And I'm like, yeah, that, that is actually how I am. I never thought of it that way. Now, truth be told, I'm still working on figuring her out. I honestly don't think I'll ever be able to. But uh, if anybody has any uh, insight on that, please let me know after service. But uh, No, I really do try to understand her better every day. I just try to be the best husband I can be for her. And I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. I'm doing my best to work as a team. When two people are consciously focused on growing together, learning more about each other, and growing their faith together, focused on one singular thing, and that thing is God the Father, the God of all creation, then they are working together as a team. They can't grow apart. They can only grow together. So our fourth practical application here will be communication is the key. So my wife is downstairs laughing right now because I am not the best communicator in the world. Um, this has been an ongoing conversation in our marriage. Um, I'm getting better and uh, I'm learning what makes, you know, makes us work the best. Uh, but it's so true. Uh, we need to communicate at our jobs, with our family, with our friends, and especially in our relationships. So I have this habit of saying, we'll see, to everything my wife asks me. So she asked me to go to, to uh, whatever, birthday party somewhere. And I'll say, yeah, we'll see, you know, because I always, like, want to see how it goes. Because usually these events are far off. Well, this drives her absolutely crazy. I just have a hard time committing to doing things in the future. Maybe it's from my childhood, and maybe it's my internal commitment issues. I don't know. But I do know it's not the best way to answer your wife if she asks if you want to do something. Instead of communicating why I may or may not do a certain thing, I say, we'll see. But communication doesn't just mean giving them the whys of our thoughts. It should include maybe a compliment now and again. Maybe trying to tell your husband or wife why you love them once in a while. I mean, come on. Men are so insecure. They love your compliments, ladies. Don't always tell them what he's not. Don't tell him what he should be. Tell him the man you see him becoming. Build him up. Focus on the positives he's doing. Now, don't get me wrong. There are going to be times in our relationship that we have to have tough conversations. There are times to be open and honest about our feelings. All the guys in here today are saying, feelings? What? What's that? You know, the emotions you feel when things happen. Trying to relay them to your, 
try to relaying try relaying them to your spouse once in a while. None of us are mind readers. Just be open and honest with people. You might be surprised how it can change the dynamic of your relationships. When people understand you better, they can relate to you better. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Take it from Solomon, the wisest person to ever live. He says the tongue has the power of life and death. Use yours for life. Spend your breath building people up. Let them know what they mean to you. Jesus tells us or communicates with us exactly what we should do in many passages of Scripture. Luke 6.31, do to others as you would have them do to you. John 13.35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Just to name a few. The point is, he communicated with us his expectations. He communicated with us how to live, how to treat others, how to show our love for him. He knew it, and so we should communicate. So should we. Communication is the key. So, our fifth practical application here will be, don't let your insecurities determine your actions. So we're going to go back to Ephesians 5.28. Paul says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for her. He says, husbands, love your wives as you love your own bodies. Now, I know some men love themselves a lot. But Paul is saying here to love your wife as your own bodies. Imagine how we could break down the walls of insecurities if we would just love them as ourselves. I'm going to share something with you about my wife, and I did get permission to share this before, so don't worry, I will not be in trouble um, for this anyway. But my wife can be very insecure about certain things. She has certain internal beliefs about herself. She has an inward focus that creates a sensitivity to what others say or do, particularly what I say or do. She often lets her vulnerabilities show, and in the past it has came to the forefront of our marriage. She often says she married up. And I hate it when she says this wholeheartedly because we all know that I'm the one who married up. And that should give me a few brownie points there. So hopefully she's listening downstairs. But the reason I say this is she's okay with being vulnerable with me now. This wasn't always the case. Many times her insecurities would cause arguments. Truth be told, sometimes mine did too. Many times our insecurities determined our actions. We did certain things because we felt a certain way. We felt like we didn't measure up. But instead of telling our spouse that we feel this way or that way, we just got angry or defensive. But it's hard to be vulnerable with another human being, right? At least it is for me. I want my wife to be, I want to be my wife's knight in shining armor. I want her to always think that she married a strong, secure provider. But truth is, you need to be vulnerable sometimes. Just like God wants us to come to Him vulnerable. He wants us to rely on Him and submit to Him. He wants us to bring all our insecurities to Him and lay them at His feet. He wants us to find our identity in Him. God the Father loves us more than any of us can even fathom. Let's rest there in His loving arms, and we will not need the reassurances of the world. We will not need the reassurances of our spouses. 
If we love our wives as we love our own bodies, we show Christ's love for us through our actions. We show that no matter how we may feel about ourselves, we know that we have a loving Father who doesn't care how we look, who doesn't care how we perceive ourselves. We can be confident in our identity in Christ and not let our insecurities determine our actions. Our sixth practical practical application here is we are here to serve and not be served. In Ephesians, it says, verse 25, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish instead. She will be holy without fault. Christ came to serve. He came to sacrifice his life for ours. He came to wash away our sins. He came to die on the cross for our sins. He was beaten and broken for us. He came to the earth with a servant attitude and heart. He knew exactly what he had to do, and he did it willingly. He knew the pain and suffering he was going to endure, and he did it anyway. Imagine, people, if we could go into every relationship we have with this heart, with this mindset, that we are here to serve one another, that we are here to sacrifice for others. Too many times we are selfish and only think of themselves. People are selfish and only think of themselves when they make decisions. Too many times people do what's easy. They never sacrifice their own comforts or their own time or their own well-being. They want what's best for old number one. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not how God intended. It says all throughout the Bible. Look at Philippians 2.4. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Galatians 5.13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. And my favorite, Matthew twenty three eleven, The greatest among you must be a servant. The greatest among you must be a servant. Let that sink in. Let me ask you today, what have you done lately to serve someone else? What have you done to serve the Lord? If you're not actively seeking opportunities to help others, if you're not seeking opportunities to spread the word of God, seeking to serve and not be served, then you're not going to have all that God intended for you. I want to challenge you today, in everything you do, look to serve others. Look to lend a helping hand wherever and whenever you see an opportunity. Look for chances to share the gospel with others. In all of our relationship, let's ask the question, what can I do to make other, the other person's life a little easier and see the change that it will bring to both of your lives? I promise you this works. I do this every day at work. I try to lead with a servant heart. I set an example of servitude to all my coworkers. 
I always do my best to try to make their jobs a little easier by doing something for them instead of just barking out orders all day. And I'm committed to doing a better job of this at home as well. Give it a try today and see the goodness and joy it will bring. Let's learn to serve and not be served. And number seven, and we'll, we'll close with this. In our relationships, in our marriages, we need to let God lead the way. So many times in our marriage or relationships, we look to our spouse or our friends for guidance. And there's nothing wrong with getting someone's opinion on something. But at times, we allow others to direct our paths. We let them control us in a way. Then there are times when husbands or wives just straight rule the roost. They control every aspect of their spouse's lives. Sometimes we feel weak and we let that happen. And sometimes we just need some guidance and we look to the wrong places for it. We look to the world for it. This is not how God intended it to be. No, we need to look to God for guidance. Let him be your shepherd. In John ten twenty seven. Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. The fact that Jesus compares us to sheep is not a compliment, by the way. Sheep are among the dumbest of all creatures. Most animals, in many cases, will survive if released into the wild. They will learn to fend for themselves and make it. But a sheep released into the wild will not survive. It can't. Sheep have no survival skills whatsoever. They are totally dependent upon the shepherd, just like we are. The sheep come to know that when the shepherd speaks, they should follow because his plan for them is better than their plans for themselves. What's God's plan for us? Well, we have to look no farther than Ephesians 29. It says, No one hates his body but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church. Just as Christ cares for the church. So what's God's plan for us? To feed us, to nurture us, to protect us as the sheep we are. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb that gave his life for ours. He went through beating, mocking, whipping, nails through his hands and feet, and eventual death hanging from a cross. The most brutal, painful way to die He did this all for you and me. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd. If you get nothing else out of this sermon, I pray that you take this to heart. Let's trust that God's plan for us is better than our own. And let's bring him into all of our relationships. I'll leave you with this quote from uh, Pastor Eric Ludy. He says, No matter how many rules we make for ourselves, rules don't create godly relationships. Only leaning on our faithful Father and longing to please Him with everything we do sets the stage for a beautiful romance. Let's be clear here about what He is saying. We must first love God and have a right relationship with Him. Then the product of that loving personal relationship with God will be a loving, fruitful relationship with our spouse. Let us let God lead the way in everything we do.